Welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. This podcast is brought to you by LarryInFishers.com. Keep up with all the news in and around Fishers, Indiana by checking LarryInFishers.com. Sign up for the email alerts right on the blog and follow my Twitter account at Larry in Fishers. I have a news gathering partnership with the Hamilton County Reporter newspaper. As a result, you will see a number of sports-related stories, particularly about Fishers and HSC high schools on my blog, courtesy of the reporter. The sports editor of the Hamilton County Reporter is Richie Hall. I invited Richie to join me once again on a podcast. We talked about football, girls and boys basketball, and some other subjects. We recorded the interview at the Ignite Space, located in the lower level of the Hamilton East Library in downtown Fishers. I spoke with Richie Hall during the afternoon of Wednesday, February 26th. I'm in the AV room at the lower level of the Hamilton East Library in Fishers, part of the Ignite Space. I'm with Richie Hall. It's always good to talk to Richie. We try to talk to him periodically and get caught up on sports in Hamilton County and particularly around Fishers. Uh, Richie probably covers more sporting events than any reporter I know around here. So, Richie, it's, it's good to see you. Well, thanks, Larry. Once again, thanks for having me on here. It's always fun to come on here and talk a little bit of sports with you. He, and in case I didn't mention that, you are the sports editor, the Hamilton County Reporter. It uh, publishes five days a week. There's a, And on the sixth day, there's a print edition that's sent out. And you can go to readthereporter.com for more on that. So let's talk about sports. I have a lot of sports to discuss, but there's one thing you want to talk about that particularly impact, impacted fishers here recently, and that's the, the recent uh, swimming competition at the IHSA. Yes, it was. Fishers had a great uh, Fishers had a great great um, tournament at the state at the state meet. Uh, as a team, they finished second in the state. It was the second time they'd done that. I think they did that. Um, I think it was like five or six years ago they did. But it was the second time they finished as, as runner up behind Carmel. And of course, Carmel won their thirty fourth state championship in a row. So, for a lot of people, finishing as runner up is kind of Maybe not the same as winning, but pretty close to it. About the best you can hope for. But Carmel has built that tradition up for so long. They've got a whole uh, program from the time you barely learned to swim. Yeah, they do. They have kids in there at like six or seven years old. And, you know, they have them, you know, learning the basics of swimming. They run a great program. And they have them competing in meets by the time they're like 12 or 13. These are like state, even national meets. So by the time they get into high school, they know what to expect. and They know how to swim at championship level. Um, I also did want to mention um, Fisher's diver Morgan Casey. She won the state championship in diving. Um, it was kind of a back and forth between her and a diver from Plainfield, but then she had a good final dive. They dive 11 dives, and her 11th dive was good enough to score her about, I think, 508 points. She won by like six points, but she became the first um, girl from Fishers to win a diving state title since Shelby Bartlett did several years ago. So it was a big honor for Fishers. In such a short time, they've had managed to put together a lot of great, a lot of a great diving program. So it was good to see them come out with another win. I think most people, their familiarity with diving usually comes during the Olympics. And I don't know, maybe you can explain it to me. I've never quite understood the scoring system. Well, scoring. Well, the way they do it in high school, I know. 
usually during regular meets they have like three they have three judges and then they give out you know a diver does does a dive and then there's a degree of difficulty like you know 2.2 2.4 those sorts of numbers and then they score the dive like you know five five and a half six that sort of thing they multiply the score by the degree of difficulty and that's the score for that dive i think in the state meet it's it's done slightly differently they have seven judges and then they drop the they drop the two high scores drop the two low scores so they take the three middle scores add them up multiply by the degree of difficulty so it, it it yeah it sounds a little it sounds a little more complicated than it actually is. I guess if you but, know it it's and it's, it's different yeah. but it's a lot of it is form and how you enter the water and I don't pretend yes. to understand it you probably know more about that than I do. I've really never covered swim meets but uh, so more power to you that you've got some expertise there. Well, thanks. That, that only comes from doing it for so long. And then so. yeah you you do it so long you learn it as you go along. Uh Let's go back to football season. It's well in our rearview mirror, but this was an unusual year because HSE and, and Fishers, in my experience living here since 91, of course, we had one high school when I started here, and then since we've had the two, usually, once Fishers was got past being a new high school and had some seniors for a few years and became competitive, it always seemed to me that either one or both schools have had really good football teams, and they didn't have a bad season this year, but they didn't have much luck in the tournament. Talk a little bit about the seasons. We have Adam Morris, who's in his second year, I believe, am I right, at yes. uh, HSE, and uh, Rick Wimmer was, of course, uh, coach at Fishers. We'll talk more about him in a moment, but talk a little about the season uh, as it uh, ended up for Fishers and HSE. Well, yeah, I think they, I think they both had, they both had good seasons. I think you know, you're dealing with sectional four, which is obviously a tough sectional because you have, and this year they changed the sectionals around so that you had Carmel and Westfield in the sectional, and you know Carmel went on to win the state championship again. I'm not sure how many times that is, but it's been a bunch of times. I think sometimes football just tends to go in cycles. You know, you could have a good year one year, the next year you might fall back to earth a little bit, and then you know you might they might go out and have a good year the next year. So I, I think the programs are still in pretty good shape. You know, Adam Morris has um, you know in only two years, and for such a young coach too. I mean, I don't, I don't think he's 30 years old yet, but. Mm-hmm. You know, for such a young coach, you know, he has everybody bought into his system. You know, he has, you know, he has the team mentally, I guess, if he could, could put it that way. So I think he's going to be in the midst of, you know, building the program to how he thinks it should be, and then that'll make it successful. And then Fishers, of course, had the, the you know, they had the program set by Rick Wimmer, who was like one of the, you know, best 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 Indiana football coaches there ever was. And, you know, he'll Adam, have... Adam Morris said he would be, Wimmer would end up in the Hall of Fame. Yes. Oh, yeah, he will. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got to have like over, I'm not sure how many wins he has, but I know it's got to be over like Close to two hundred. I think I might be lowballing it a little no, bit. That's but. probably right, right on the target. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, but he won two state championships, and you know he has a good program going. And I think I, I think it'll continue. I think I think it'll continue to be a solid program for years to come. And uh, Rick Wimmer, uh, I don't know. Was it a surprise to you that he picked this point in time to retire as a coach? Yeah, I think when somebody's the coach for so long, even if they're you know sending out you know big waving flags, I might retire this year, it's still going to be a surprise because you just get so used to being them, seeing them being the coach for so long. You know, I mean, I, you know, in retrospect, you think, well, you know, he's been coaching for a while. I mean, I remember he won a state championship with the Scienceville back in 1987, so that tells you how long he's been doing it. 
So you think, well, yeah, maybe he just decided it was time and that sort of thing. But, you know, when you hear the news for the first time, it's just the initial shock of, really, he's retiring? And you're just like, wow, what are they going to do now? And all the questions you start to ask and, you know, gee, I'm going to miss seeing Rick all the time and that sort of thing. You know, it's, you know, a coach could tell me today, hey, this, hey next year is going to be my last year. And I'd be like, well, I'm going to miss you. And then... You know, he still then he retires. And it's like, oh, he's not here anymore. So it's it's always going to be a shock when somebody retires. But I think that, you know, if, if Rick decided it was time to go, then I guess you know at least he got to go out on his own terms, and that's something that every coach should be able to do. Yes, I, I covering politics. I can assure you, <laughs> people change their minds. Well, I'm going to run again. I'm not going to run again. But the reason I think Wimmer was a bit of a shock to the community as, as a whole. And, and we talked with him about that when you and I had a podcast with him a couple of years ago, that uh, he was the man that created the program. I mean, one of the incentives for him to come to Fishers, number one, it was a big program. You know, even though it, Fishers, uh, HSC Schools was building a new high school, it's still going to be a big high school, even though we're going to two from one. And he saw an opportunity to build a program from the from the bottom up, the from, from scratch, hire his own staff and those sorts of things. And he got a chance to do that. He won a state championship. And, and you wonder what else what else is there to accomplish. He's staying on as a phys ed teacher, so I assume he'll, he'll retire as, as a teacher now. But uh, I've got to believe that, you know, as competitive as 6A football is now, maybe he thought, you know, it's winning another championship, that's going to be tough. Well, yeah, it's always going to be tough for everybody. I mean, I know, I know schools like Carmel make it look easy, but they'll be the first one to tell you that it isn't easy. And you know, who knows? You know, Fishers could, you know, put together another good team, and three or four years from now, they could be in contention for a state championship. So, you know, like I said, everything just tends to go in cycles, and you just kind of never know, you know, what breaks may go your way, or you know, who might be coming up as a freshman, who might be up in the junior high schools. You know, some good kid might move into the might move into the school. You know, I think I, I think it just, you know, again, it just kind of goes in cycles and you just never really know what's ever going to happen. So, it, and I, the only reason I say he was a bit of a shock because people didn't expect it now. And yeah. I don't think he really, uh, if he signaled it, I didn't pick it up. No, uh, no, I don't, no, he didn't signal it at all. Mm -hmm. I think, it, again, it's like in retrospect, you think, well, maybe he decided it was time to retire. But when it, you first hear it, it's just like, wow. But if you think about what life is like for any football or basketball varsity coach, but let's take football for the best example, you're starting spring workouts pretty soon, you know, and it's almost a year-round job. That uh, There have been some changes in the IHSAA rules about how that works. I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the rules used to be more restrictive than they are now. But you are working with these kids in one way, or you not, may not be in a practice field, but you're working with them in one way or the other in the weight room or maybe doing other things that are allowed by the rules. Uh, just it's almost a year-round job. Yeah, it is. And I, and I am aware that the IHSCA changed the rules a couple of years ago. I, I'll be honest. I'm not sure what the exact you know wording of all the rules are, but I do know that when you look at the schedule, they put together a little year schedule at a glance every year. And you see, like, certain dates are blocked off for spring work for, like, you know, fall workouts, winter workouts, spring workouts, that sort of thing. So, you know, that they, you know, that everything is kind of planned out in advance and that coaches do know when they can work with their kids off season and, and you know, when the, say, when the breaks are supposed to be. So, yeah, it is a full time job. And, you know, I certainly, 
certainly have to admire a new coach who decides that he's going to decides to be a coach anymore, especially in football or basketball, because he or she knows that they're going to be working all year, especially if they want to have the program be at the high level that high level that everybody's accustomed to. Anytime there's a coaching opening like this, when it was HSC, there were rumors all around town who's going to be the new HSC coach. Nobody was right. <laughs> he went to Adam Morris. Uh, and when Wimmer retired, who's going to replace Rick Wimmer? And the rumors flew. And again, we have a coach probably nobody had uh, projected or nobody had. There were no rumors uh, centered around this fellow. And his name is Kurt Funk. Here's what I remember. I've only been around uh, the covering the school board, and I've done that since 2012, but only for two head varsity football coach changes. When Adam Morris was introduced to the board, he got up and he gave a speech, and he kind of you know was very verbal, answered questions. Kurt Funk, when he got before the school board, he didn't even really get up to the rostrum. He just said thanks, you know, basically thank you for the opportunity. And that was it. Now, you had a chance to speak to him outside the boardroom that night. I was covered the board meeting, and you went back and, and wrote a story about Kurt Funk. So tell me your impressions of Kurt Funk based on your, your first interactions with him. I, I, I liked him. He seemed like he was a perfectly, perfectly nice guy. Yeah, I think he is um, – I have my story up here from the reporter, so I'm going to be referring to that. Well, well, referring look, to that a little bit. Yeah, he was a um, uh, Northern Indiana coach, and I know he turned one program around completely up there. That was uh, his big fame, claim to fame. Yeah, he coached at Mississippi for ten years and um, had pretty had a ton of success there. Um, yeah, nine consecutive. Yeah, winning record for nine consecutive years. Um, two sectional titles in the last four seasons. They were eleven and two this past season. So. You know, I'm not sure what Mississippi football was before that, but you know he got there, was there for ten years, and they had a ton, they had a ton of success. His record was seventy-seven and thirty-six, and he also was the head wrestling coach for Mississippi for the past four years. And I was down at the state wrestling finals this this um, this past Saturday, and it was kind of interesting because during the consolation matches, um, Kurt's son Kyler was a state qualifying wrestler. And it was kind of funny to see that he was still there coaching his son. And there was like one match where his son was wrestling for for a place. And then right next to it was Fisher's J.D. Farrell, who was wrestling for third place. So so was, uh, is his son a senior? Yes, he's a senior. So he won't be coming to, to no. Fisher's to wrestle. With. No. Okay. No, he's <laughs> Just a, thought I'd ask. No, he's a senior. But he had a, he had a good season. And I was kind of rooting for him, too. But good. But, you know, I, I found Kurt to be you know, very pleasant, very nice. And, you know, I think and it's obviously it's going to be different from seeing Rick Wimmer there for 15 years. And he's a little bit of a younger coach. He's a few years younger than me. And if you're younger than me, then you're a young coach. So. <laughs> you're, in my view, you're a young guy, Rich, well, just so you, you know. I appreciate that. <laughs> but, you know, I, you're just, you know, it's, it's good to see somebody who, you know, has a good track record of success come in. And, you know, hopefully he'll get a chance to see what he can do at the at the 6A level, you know, and at the HCC, you know, a very tough sectional in the top class of the state. So I'm excited to see what he can do. You know, people in Fishers always wish the IHSAA would put Fishers and HSC into different football sectionals. I don't think that's ever going to happen. But uh, I think the reason that a lot of people locally would like to see that happen is because they they feel that maybe it would take it would tarnish, take a little of the uh, shine off of the regular season Mud Sock game. Now, I don't think that's happened. They've only uh, – I'm trying three or four times I remember they've faced each other in the tournament. 
And, you know, with the four-team section, all the chances of them you know, being paired in the first round are pretty high, but it hasn't happened in the last uh, last couple of years. And with the Westfield going in and North Central going out was the, was the, the only change we've had in, in recent years. One thing about your story on Kurt Funk, I want you to comment on that, because if I recall correctly, he has already been looking, well, they call it film, it's usually videotape or something, but he's been watching the players and I'm I'm wondering how the players felt when he met them for the first time when he started talking about everything they did last <laughs> season. I'm sure that was a shock. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of a good thing to see that you know a coach is willing to do his homework. And in fact, that was actually one of the things that he talked about when I interviewed him was you know he wanted to do, to do his homework to know the kids, you know, I, know know what positions they played, know what their strengths were, that sort of thing. Uh, he said that. He meant um, the day after the day my story was published. He said he would, would be meeting the players during their lunch periods, and his official start date was actually this past Monday, mm-hmm. which I think was because of the wrestling state finals. Because those, you know, that that sort of thing. Obviously, you want to coach your son to the state finals, but obviously he was, um, you know, just wanted to meet the players. And he said he knew their, them by their numbers, their names on the roster, and you know, it's just good to know that he's going to be coming in here prepared and be ready to hit the ground running because, you know, if it's a position like this, you know, a big school like this, you know, there's not really much time for somebody to, to think, oh, I'm just going to take this next month or two to figure out everybody, you know, now they want you to be ready to go to day one. So it's good to see that he's being prepared. And day one is spring practice. I mean, that's when you, you – the, the, the spring practice is when you need to know who you're playing. And he's already got that, which is still amazing to me. So it tells you he really is died. He's really jumped in uh, feet first on the job. Let me move on to another sport. That's girls basketball. This was a very good season, I think, for HSC and Fishers girls basketball. HSC was the defending state champions. Uh, Sydney Parrish was a senior this year. It was really sad to see her play her last game as a royal. I mean, such a such a career that she has had. Uh, and then Fishers High School uh, with the. You know, it, I don't know about if you saw this, but for a long time, the Indy Star was calling her Lauren Vale, <laughs> and her name has changed yeah. to Lauren Vota. But um, they finally got it right here lately. Yeah. But what? And she has built a program, a really good team, and they won the Mud Sock game, and 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 uh, and and they went to the regional, and they were knocked off in the regional. But I would have to say it was, it was considering that Fishers has now begun to move up in the pecking order, but. HSE had a terrific season as well. So uh, I know you had a chance to see several of those games. Uh, tell me your impressions of the uh, HSE Fishers girls basketball seasons. Uh, they were both great. They were, they were both great seasons. You know, they played each other in the sectional final, which Fishers won. And it's one of those things where it's a shame that they had they had to play each other because that means even though one of them is going to be winning the sectional, the other one is going to be done for the season. Um, the game, I think, was a total was a total pick'em. I mean, there were reasons why both teams could win. Um, you know, Fishers had won the Mudside game earlier, so you would have had to put them in. If you absolutely had to say a favorite, you had to go with well, Fishers because they won the first game. And I know Southeastern got off to like a twenty-one to five, twenty-one to six lead. It was some just you know ridiculous lead that you did not see coming. But then Fishers started to come back, and they had the lead by the fourth quarter. And you know, they had great performances from their seniors. Uh, Tamiya Perryman hit like four, th- hit four three-pointers in the fourth quarter, 
which was amazing. You know, Katie Burton, you know, you hear talk about her being a Division One player. She's mm-hmm. their leading scorer. You know, Lydia Selkin had a great season. And then, of course, you have the freshman twins, Haley and Olivia. They've come out and made, a, made an impact right away. You, you kind of never know about freshmen when you hear about how good they can be. You know, they're either going out of the box or they might take a couple years to grow and develop into their role. You know, Noblesville had a freshman, Ashlyn Shade, who was good out of the box. You know, the Fisher's freshman, I think... I think they might have had to develop a little bit, but by the time they got to the sectional, they were pretty much like, you know, you could tell they were legitimate varsity players, and, you know, now they get to be part of Fishers for three years, and I'm sure everybody's going to be looking forward to that. Um, as for Southeastern, you know, Sydney Parish is, I mean, she graduates as the all-time leading Hamilton County scorer, 1,925 points, you know, state champion, the first time Southeastern's ever won a girls' state basketball championship and you know she's off to the university of oregon where she's part of a freshman class where i noticed that five of them including sid are all mcdonald's all americans so this is going to be like an amazing class for oregon sid's going to be part of it oregon has had a tremendous history of great women's basketball teams to to boot and, and i guess when you have that reputation that makes it easier to recruit but she was she signed on to oregon last year yeah, I'm, I guess I I remember asking her about it, and she said that she liked it right away. And, of course, you know, Oregon, as you said, Oregon's profile has been raised quite a bit the past two years. They have Sabrina Ionescu, the senior player. Unfortunately, still won't get to play with her, but, you know, she's somebody that's really put Oregon on the map. I was w- watching their game Monday, and Sabrina became the first player, they said, to either men or women, to reach 2,000 points, 1,000 rebounds, 1,000 assists. The game was on ESPN, and they were making a huge deal of that. But you can just tell that it was something that nobody had ever done before. And this, you know, this player is going to be at Oregon. So, you know, obviously the profile's raised, and it had something that Sid, that Sid liked. So she signed, decided to sign on, sign on with it. And with all the cable sports channels available, I suspect we're going to have a, plenty of chances to see Sydney Parish play at Oregon. Oh yeah, we are. I'm sure there might be a couple of people who might decide to sign up for the Pac-10. I think they're the Pac-10. They're Pac-10. Okay, well, they're Pac-10. Well, yeah, there's a, there's a network. There's a network for everybody yeah. anymore. Yeah, I'd say the Big Ten was the first one out of the box. They they saw that before anybody, and now everyone else is, is trying to catch up. But you're yeah. right. It's you'll find it somewhere. Even the Pac-10 network doesn't have all the Pac-10 games, so you know <laughs> it's just impossible. Just you just have to go on search on your cable yeah. or whatever you've got. <laughs> So uh, yeah, I I uh, I that I I just was very impressed with the coaching and the quality of the play for both teams. I did not. I know you asked me to cover it. I couldn't go, but I talked to Todd Houston, our local state rep, who's a big sports fan. I saw him at the Mudsock game, and you and I watched the boys Mudsock game together. And I had to miss the girls, and I saw Todd Houston later. And he says, you missed the best game. He said, that was a better game. I mean, the boys' game was great. It went overtime. because yeah. the girls' game was actually a better game to watch. And I'm sure because you had two teams playing at a very high level. And, you know, it was the uh, it was the big game for them in the regular season. It's the rivalry game that both teams are going to be at the top of their form. So yeah. it's, it's uh, almost like you hate to see that season end. Yeah, you do. I, I do want to mention one more, one more thing about Fishers, by the way, is mm-hmm. that they did win the undefeated Hoosier Crossroads Conference mm-hmm. Championship, which that's pretty difficult to do. You know, HSC did it last year, obviously, mm-hmm. but of course they have the state championship team. So Yeah, that's right. That, that is no – especially undefeated. Not too many people won a conference championship undefeated in most conferences in Indiana. HSC is – it is one of the top conferences in the state, mm-hmm. I think. One of them. You can argue which is the best. Yeah. We won't I, we won't get into that <laughs> argument, will we? I, I, I think 
Yeah, to ask me. I mean, the, the Mick is probably is well. The Mick is is considered to the be best the toughest football. in this area, at least. Oh. Yeah. I always put it as obviously the tough, the toughest football conference. I mean, okay. there's not much question about that, but mm-hmm. I think the HCC is beginning to get parity with the MIG, and it's happening pretty quickly too in a lot of the other sports. And just because the communities are growing in, yeah. within the uh, HCC, and they're starting, I mean, the, uh, all the programs are better. Westfield is definitely better, and uh, and Zionsville's building their programs as well. Well, speaking of Zionsville, let's go to boys basketball. It's been a very exciting boys basketball season too. Uh, you've got both HSC and and Fishers. They have had their hot streaks. Fishers kind of had their hot streak early. HSC is on one now, but they're both playing at a high level. And you were at the game recently when Fishers uh, had their senior night and, and defeated North Central in that uh, Tiger Den game. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Uh, Fishers has drawn Zionsville, which is why I brought Zionsville in the first round of the sectional. I think uh, the was it Kyle Niederprint with the Indianapolis Star. I think I did I get his name right. Uh, Niederrep, yeah. Niederrep, I said it wrong. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, so he had a story. I think at this morning's paper that uh, HSC got one of the toughest draws in the state because they have to play Carmel, and Carmel's always tough every year. Uh, of course, if Carmel beats HSC and Fishers wins, who do they play? They play. Carmel, I think. Uh, or is it Noblesville? Uh, F- Carmel will play Noblesville, Noblesville because Noblesville at the bye. Fishers would play Westfield Okay, if they win. So if they keep winning, they're still going to face Carmel at some point, both teams. But uh, HSC yeah. will, I'm sure, give Carmel all they can ask for. And I'm not saying they're going to lose, but it, I, I do think Carmel's just a tough draw. I mean, you have to admit that. Yeah, they are. But And the interesting thing is going to be is, is that you know Carmel and HSC played each other in the regular season, and Carmel was up by like 15 points in the second quarter. You know, thinking, well, they probably have this game in hand, but then Southeastern just, you know, kept chipping away and chipping away. And then they won by one point. It was like 62 to mm-hmm. 61. Mm-hmm. So, and that was, I forget, the, it was their senior night game, but, you know, it was a big deal. They were, it was, you know, it's obviously a big deal whenever Southeastern plays Carmel. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that was, and of course, that's part of Southeastern's big, big win streak, too, which I think is up to 12 games. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think. It's probably a game where Carmel wanted to get Southeastern right out of the gate. You know, and Southeastern probably Southeastern probably tell you the same thing. They want to see Carmel right out of the gate. You, know, you just never know what people expect or want to get out of the sectional draw. But you know, it'll you know it'll be a fun game. It'll be a fun game to watch because you know you know Carmel's out for revenge. And someone actually told me it was Greg Rickstra who said that you know Carmel always tends to get five points already just with their Carmel jersey because of the success <laughs> they had. Yeah, but uh, I think you know Southeastern has something to say about that. Yes, and yes, they do. They, you know, they have the capable players. I mean, you know, Maborman Jacques is seven foot two, and you know, he's seven foot two. That's just as everybody but says. But Jacques is really developed, don't you think, as a player? I think I think so. And you know, he was already seven feet when he was a freshman, and so when people see that, they're just like, oh, well, okay, he's gonna you know be the next Greg Oden. He's just gonna be dominant for the next four years. And I think they had him on JV the freshman his freshman year. They didn't really bring him up into varsity more until he was a sophomore. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes, even if a kid's that tall, you just kind of got to let him develop in his own way instead of just, you know, like pushing him out there on diversity with not a lot of experience when, you know, he needs when he needs time to grow in his game. And he's grown really great. He's grown into it really great by, the, by his senior year now. I think that it's difficult to explain to somebody how uh, an athlete with a frame of 7'7'2", seven, seven, the challenge is 
that face that person. You think, well, they've got a big advantage. Well, but there's some disadvantages in terms of being able to get the athletic coordination going. And, and the, you really have to work hard mm-hmm. to get your athletic prowess to the point where you can compete. So, I, you know, it's, it's great to be 7'2 as a basketball player. But on the other hand, you face cha- – I've seen a lot of 7-foot players who just couldn't make it in basketball. Uh, yeah. Yet, uh, you know, you can see this. Jock, he's a kid who really worked hard. I can see the improvement over just last year watching him and seeing him this year. I see a completely different player. Yeah, I, just, I remember how skinny he was, too. Yeah. I, I mean, he's obviously still kind of skinny, but I think when people see seven-foot-tall players, they think of, like, Shaquille O'Neal, who was seven-foot-one, but at the same time, he was, like, this big physical, you know, he was just big, you know, big physically imposing guy, imposing guy. And, of course, he was a couple years older, too, so he had that advantage. You know, Majak obviously is still a teenager, so he's mm-hmm. still growing. That's kind of hard to believe. Yeah, but. It is hard to believe, but he'll, you know, there are weight programs, there are all kinds of things. If he moves on and plays basketball at the collegiate level, you know, he'll yes. be in a program to do that. Yes, and he is. He's going to be playing at Cleveland State. Mm-hmm. So, Which is a very nice, kind of, would you say a mid-major program? I think or, so. I think it's mid-major, yeah. So that's, you know, that, that that's a place where he can thrive, I, I think. So as far as the sectional, do you expect a full house for these sectional games, particularly as we get toward the, oh, the yeah. end? I do. Good. Yeah, Car- Carmel Southeastern will be a big full. Will be a definitely be a full house. So Good. I'm sure there's a lot of people who can't wait to see that, and it'll be a very. You'll have two very partisan crowds. That's for sure. Well, of course. <laughs> and I think you know, we had one school board member to you know HSC school board. He, he he didn't say much. He only said two words: beat Carmel. He was really into beating Carmel. Uh, and Carmel is a target. You have that kind of success. Everybody's going to be gunning after you, whether you're in the tournament or not. I I just think that's that's yeah. what success brings you. Yeah. And to some extent, you know, our local schools are, have have been pretty successful too in their in their sports programs in general. I want, I want to take that prediction of a full house at Noblesville for the for most or all of the the sectional contest to uh, something I have been watching for a very long time. I was relating to you before we started that I began my career covering sports in the early 70s and I covered high school sports and a little bit of uh, small college sports at the NAIA level. Uh, What I found was that most of the coaches in high school very much concentrated on offense. It's almost almost like they taught defense at the end of practice and they finished their offensive uh, schemes. and what I see today, I see somebody like Matt Moore, you know, a very defensive-minded coach. And you and you and I talked about this a while back. The first year he was here, I mean, he might lose a game, but it was, the game was always a low-scoring game. So he was he was teaching his team defense at a very early, you know, part of his tenure. Uh, how do you think? Uh, the fact that high school coaches are doing a better job of coaching defense. How has how has that changed? the game that we see today yeah i think it's made it more interesting because you know i i, I think if you don't turn and i, I wasn't a huge a big huge sports fan when i was growing up i liked it but i wasn't like one of those people who was obsessed with it so i didn't really know too, i didn't really know too much about high school sports in comparison to the professional leagues like you know if you watch the nba you're so used to you know scores of like 112 to 110 you know regularly over 100 points and you get to high school level, and I start out Lebanon where you have the Sagamore Conference, and that was a very defensive-minded conference where you have sectional games between boys that ended with a 38-36 winner. So everybody focused on defense. Um, 
I, I do think it makes it more interesting because I, I think everybody always says again and again and again, offense scores points, defense wins championships. So the idea, I think everybody is, coaches, I think, are learning to look at the big picture and know that, yes, it's fun if a team scores, you know, 80 points a game and, you know, have kids go off for 20 all the time. But, you know, you've got also got to know how to play defense. And if you're, you know, how to play defense, you're a well-rounded, you're a well-rounded team. You know, and let's face it, I'll, a lot of the kids, it's very rare to see a kid from any high school go to the NBA. They're usually pretty much, they pretty much know they're destined for the NBA by the time they're 12, like Gary Harris did. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to, I guess, bring them into more realistic expectations of how to, how to play the game of basketball. You know, can we get a college scholarship? Could be just, you know, to enjoy it, you know, enjoy the experience, be on a team. So you kind of have to, you know, do what's best for the kids and teach the game the way you want to teach the kids the game the way it should be played. And, you know, defense makes you more well, well-rounded teams, and it's the way – that's that's the way it should be played. Are you a baseball fan? Yeah. Um, I just wrote a – Column. Uh, I don't write about sports a lot, but I did in my my blog, and I'm worried about the future of Major League Baseball. I'm going to end the podcast <laughs> on this, wow. and the whole Houston Astro, Boston Red Sox, and all this. Uh, I think it's the game is in more trouble now that it's been since the strike that almost killed baseball. And and when uh, the fans started, you know, jeering at the teams and making fun of them. Yeah. Uh, of course, we know the history now. What happened is that uh, the, the powers of being baseball turned their heads on the steroid use, which obviously was going on, and wanted the home run contest record so that they can get the fans back into the game. Um, we're seeing now today this, I mean, there's always been sign stealing in baseball, but never using technology the way the Astros did and possibly the Red Sox. So I'm wondering if baseball has kind of reached that that, that point where are fans going to still enjoy the games and believe that they're honest? I think that's the biggest challenge for baseball. What do you think in Major League Baseball? Yeah, I would have to agree kind of sadly that, you know, there's just always going to be that little – but you know, you I, I like baseball. I want to keep liking baseball for a long time. I hope there's still. I've become kind of a converted Mets fan over the past few years. I always, I always secretly like the Mets. But when Kevin Plowacki started playing for them, I'm like, okay, now I have an excuse to like the Mets. <laughs> He's not there anymore, but I still like them. <laughs> well, I've been a Reds fan since I'm a kid. You know, they've fallen on hard times, but yeah. uh, you know, you cannot be a fair weather fan, right? There's always yeah. next year, and they've yeah, that's true. The Reds have a possibility of being competitive this year. We'll see if it happens. Yeah. Spring training is just starting as yeah, we record this. Yeah, I think I think you always have people who go to the game just because you know there's always going to be a little romanticism with baseball. You know, going back to the 1920s, going back to Hank Aaron and Joe DiMaggio and all the. Even if you've never seen a baseball game before in your life, you know who those who those players are, and you, you know what what they mean not just to baseball but to you know Americana in general. So there's, I, I don't think baseball's ever going to go away completely, but I. Do think there needs to be a little bit of a maybe not necessarily reckoning, but just maybe there's just got to be ways that baseball, that major league baseball, can earn back earn back the trust of the fans. I mean, I'll be honest, I haven't really been able to dive into the, all the particulars of the signs, the Astros, and the sign stealing controversy. But from the little bits and pieces I've heard, it just kind of makes you sound like you know, where do you think, hey, what is this? You know, it's just, you know, the buzzers and the undershirts and the helmets and that sort of thing. And The garbage can clanking, that was the one that got me. <laughs> but go ahead. 
Good, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, there's just got to be a way that they can figure out way, ways to get back the trust of the fans because, you know, the, the fans are kind of the integral part of baseball because, you know, you always hear about, you know, family bonding during, during baseball games, you know, people passing down, you know, their tradition of loving the Reds or loving the Cubs or the Mets or anything from generation to generation. So it would be kind of a shame to see that go see that go away um there's has to be something they can do in order to tell them look you know we're, we're you know we're still here we believe in playing the game honestly and fairly and you know we will take steps to make sure that you know we do that make sure we do that i think so. the owners have to step in and and uh, they don't agree on things a lot but uh, and I don't know. I don't have a lot of confidence in the current group of owners doing this, but that's the only hope. And, of course, the commissioner works for the owners, so mm-hmm. it really has to come from the ownership group or a majority of them saying we need to make some changes and, and make yeah. sure that the game is policed. But we could go on and on on that one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I will say that I think if, the, if you know, the fan attendance start dropping, then they will have to do something because that's mm-hmm. what – It's dropped dramatically in the last – what, 13 years, 2007 was the peak on uh, mm-hmm. uh, I just looked at this the other day and uh, it's been it's down substantially. Every year it goes down a little bit ever since 2007. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the now the, their money keeps going up because they have these marketing deals and TV deals. Uh, so they still get more revenue, but the fans aren't showing up. So to me, that's well, that's a, that's something that cannot sustain itself over time. Well, that's that's kind of the problem right there. Yeah, you know, the marketing deals, all that sorts of thing, but but then again, if people aren't watching the games, then eventually the you know TV TV people are going to start saying, well, we're not getting a lot of bang for our buck anymore. So why should we keep? And TV contracts, I think, not just for baseball, but also for you know the NFL, the NBA. You just take a look at some of the numbers, and you're just like, people are really going to pay that much. You're you know you're putting that much money into the to, 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 you know. And now that. Uh, the whole uh, television landscape is different. Uh, NFL games are the highest rated uh, programs on the major networks because they don't have you know, they've got all the, the, there's such a diffusion of the audience. The one the few things that will draw a big audience are like the Oscars, uh, the NFL, and a few other special events. Mm-hmm. So I. I I don't know where this is going to go over time, but it's always good to talk to you about it, Richie. Richie, thanks for – always great to talk to you. Good luck, and thanks uh, for joining me. Okay, well, thanks, Larry. Thanks for having me. Hope you get to do it again sometime. This podcast has been brought to you by LarryInFishers.com. My local news blog follows news in and around the Fishers area, so check it out. Once again, find it at LarryInFishers.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter, at LarryInFishers. My name is Larry Lannon. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.